The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 today, so I'll let you start flipping. After I hear the Bible flipping stop or the scrolling thumb stop, then we'll jump into prayer. If you're new, welcome. My name is Ryan, and I'm your pastor. If you are wondering where did I come to today, it's this is not, well, this is kind of normal, actually. Um, we're in a ser- series in Ephesians looking at who we are in Jesus. We want to discover not only who Jesus is primarily, but who we are because of what he has done for us. And now in Ephesians 3, we're coming to the middle part of the book. Ephesians is six chapters. How many chapters? Six chapters. The first three chapters are highfalutin theology. Up in the the nosebleed section, we're talking the mega picture of God's love for us, all that he did to send Jesus down to die for us while we were disobedient still. Jesus came in and grabbed us, saved us by way of the cross. Chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians, the second half, is all the practical stuff. So right now we are winding down in the nosebleed section of theology, which I love, and Paul takes a detour. He starts rambling. So for those of you who have grown up in church, you know that this is what pastors do anyway. We ramble. We're like that dog from up. We see something move and our mind goes, ding, and we start talking about stuff that we probably shouldn't be talking about. This is what we're going to look at today. Paul has been talking about Jesus and all that he accomplished, and his death on the cross was a gift for us, a gift that he gives us by his grace through faith so that no one can boast. And then he's going to say one more thing. And this is like in verse 1. Let me pray. Let me pray. Because if we don't pray, then God doesn't hear us. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the spirit of of worship for you. I pray that that spirit of worship would continue. We'd now worship with our minds. That we would worship with our ears. That we would be attentive not to just the words that I'm saying, but God, to your words through the power of your spirit. That we would see this text come alive. That we would see a reason for his tangent. And that we would leave here understanding the amazing purpose that you have for each one of us uniquely and together as a church family. So Lord, the wood is laid out, but only you can send the fire. Spirit of God, come down and descend. In Jesus' name, amen. So you'll notice in in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then it's dash, dash. Because right there, he's about to go in. He's saying, I'm a prisoner for Jesus, and then he has one of those preacher tangents. His brain just starts to zip away because he wants to make sure that he's catching these people with one last little oomph. It's, if, it's like if you've ever been to that church, and some churches are more notorious for this, where the pastor goes, And one more thing. And then he goes on for 40 minutes. And just my last point, 17 points and sub points later. That's what Paul's doing here. But it's so beautiful because it starts off with him wanting to acknowledge, yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I am suffering. Anyone here suffered lately? Just I want to see if I'm together. I need people together with me. If there's anything true about human life and experience, it's that we will suffer. Because of the state that our world is in. But today, Paul wants to give us something. He wants to give us a purpose and a focus so that we don't get glued onto our suffering and our sadness with our own eyes. So that's why he stops and he goes, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, dash, dash, 
he goes into it. And if you want to know where the tangent ends, it ends at the end of today's text. Because in verse 14, he says the same thing again. For this reason now, he comes back to it. He comes back to what he originally wanted to say, which is why there's not many commentaries on this passage. Because commentators are like, well, he didn't, did he mean to say it? It's like a tangent, and then he goes back to what he originally thought. Absolutely. This is in the word of God for us today. Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. You know, if I get arrested or when I get arrested one day for doing something foolish, uh, I want to remember this. Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel. He didn't say, Paul, a prisoner because of living for Jesus Christ. He said, I'm a prisoner for Jesus. He's in chains under house arrest, but he's acknowledging that all of his life is under the sovereign care of Jesus. And that is very, very important as we continue to read. Because he says this in his tangent in verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul was given care of God's grace. And he was supposed to give it to the Gentiles. Those people who are non-ethnic Jews during this time. Here, here's the God's grace was given to me for you. Verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly. When you read this. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, a few words here we got to just unpack. And if you're new, this is what we do. We talk a little, unpack a little. The word mystery is not what you and I are thinking when I say that out loud. When I say mystery, in your head pops up like a Nancy Drew, something that, there's, that we have to solve, right? There's something unknown that we have to solve. This mystery is, is more of a connotation of something that's so mysteriously hidden, something that was so astonishing that we would not even have thought about it. And there's not really a ton of modern-day equivalents. There was one, actually. I think it was in the early 2000s when I say this. I'm not going to say the movie because it's a huge spoiler alert. But I see dead people. Okay, right? When you saw that movie, if you don't know the movie, sorry, it's Statute of Limitations. You can't get mad at me. Um, the whole movie goes by, and you're like, what's going on? What's going on? And in the very end, spoiler alert, plug yours if you don't want to hear it, you find out that the kid, this whole movie, has been seeing dead people. And nobody in the world saw it coming. And then you rewatch it the second time, and you're like, oh, oh, how did I miss that? Oh, my goodness, it's right in front of my face. This is the type of mystery. It was so unforeseen that people in previous generations could not fathom it, and Paul came to give it. This mystery that God would bring in those who were not his people to be his people by the cross of Jesus Christ, by what we call the gospel. Gospel means good news. It's the good news that Jesus, by his sheer love and grace toward you, died on a cross. And it's not by your work so that you cannot boast. This is a mystery to behold. Now, here's what's not a mystery. Here's, here's absolutely not a mystery. Living a moral life, following the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule, and then God will love you. That's, that doesn't seem too mysterious. As a matter of fact, that's what the majority of every other spiritual worldview in this existence teaches us. If you are good, then God will love you. 
that's not very mysterious. We, we tend to believe that anyways. When I ask people, hey, 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 um, what do you believe in? Are you a follower of Jesus? What's your religion? What's your story? Or when I get to that creepy point where you ask somebody where they'll go when they die, which I think is still like the worst way to evangelize somebody. It's very threatening. Um, but when you ask, so, hey, wh- wh- where are you going to go when you die? 99% of people are like, oh, I'm going to heaven. Then I say, why? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Because that's not any rocket science to figure this out. Religion says, if you're good, then God will love you. It's not mysterious. Religion says, if you act like God's people, then God will be your God. The gospel of Jesus says something very, very different. It says you were not acting like God's people. As a matter of fact, most of us in this room, unless you are an ethnic Jew, were far, far, far from God's law and commandments. Yet God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send my son, and he's going to love them when they don't even want to be loved. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were saying, God, I don't want you. God, I want to look to other things for my value and significance. While we were doing that, then God says, now is the time. And until we understand this radical mystery that God is bringing together in the beauty of the cross and the good news of Jesus, that he is bringing us into him by his grace, Grace means free gift, free favor, not our works. Until we get that, we get this wrong. Then we don't sing amazing grace with just the the raw, unfettered emotion. Amazing grace isn't a sweet sound if you're still trying to work your way up to it. And, And I need to tell you this. Human beings, we are addicted to works. We are addicted to earning our way. We are addicted to proving ourselves. We are resistant to saying, all I need is Jesus. He was enough, and he is all that I have. I could do no better than him, so I'll cling to him with all the faith that I have, and even that faith is a gift from him, and I'll hold on. That's when you sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Paul wants to drive this home that he came, his calling was to preach this mystery of the gospel in Jesus, this gospel, this good news that brings Jew and Gentile together. And for our culture, it's the same good news that should be bridging racial divides, bridging socioeconomic divides. One of the things I was worried about in wearing these uh, legging things, other than sweating profusely, is um, is that I, my wife will attest to this, I, I like our country. I think it's pretty cool. Like, I'm all a fan of the checks and balances, keep big government away, let me talk about Jesus, don't arrest me, okay? That's like, I like that aspect. What's hard for me is that I feel like too often we as followers of Jesus are like charging the hill and we have the good news of Christ and then we've got our patriotism and our flag in this hand and that actually reduces the message of Jesus, Because this freedom that we got here, it was important. I love it. I get to own Bibles and a king or president cannot tell me otherwise. I get to tell people about Jesus and nobody can tell me otherwise yet. I get to pray in public places and I'm not going to get stoned or hit or, or martyred yet. But, but I need you to know that that freedom is minusculely microscopic compared to the freedom we have in Jesus. The freedom that while we were yet sinners, the mystery was revealed. 
And this is God's plan A. God's plan A, if you don't know this, is his only plan. Many of us have plan A, B's, C's, and D's, right? Some of you have been living on plan F. You're like, get me out of here. But, but God, he gets to control everything through love, through grace, and he's ordaining pieces around. And God says, this was my plan A all along. My plan A was, I'm going to set up a people. And then in Deuteronomy 4, God tells the Israelites, he says, go and live for me so that the rest of the world will see my glory. It's Deuteronomy 4. But they failed. We knew that. God knew that they would. So as the Israelites failed time and time and time and time again, God got closer and closer and closer to his plan of saying, I knew my people would fail here because they didn't have my spirit within them. So I made a way in the future so that when I go down in the form of Jesus, when the second person of the Trinity goes and lives as a human, 100% human and 100% God, he dies on a cross living perfectly, gives his perfection to these creatures that I made, then I can live in them because I've cleaned out the insides. We may still sin, but God has given us a fundamental change. We call it in the church being born again. In that moment, we are able now, and because of Christ, we get the Spirit of God within us. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. doesn't matter if you're white, black, Asian. doesn't matter if you're born in America. doesn't matter if you're born in Pakistan. doesn't, doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. The Spirit of God is available to those who call on the name of Jesus. This is the great mystery that he was bringing things together. Now, verse 7. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. So God will make people into things. God made Paul into a minister. Now, this is a tangent that I'm taking, and I think it's funny because it's a tangent within a tangent. So it's like we're in the movie Inception right now. Okay? Um, God uniquely has gifted you and called you to do something. And it's going to be related to what Paul's call was. Paul's call, he was a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So what you do is a gift of God's grace. And and here's what it is. To him, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul's job was to preach how amazing Jesus is to those who are not uh, Jewish people. And then verse 9, and to bring to light or to make plain, to make visible for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul's job as a minister is to show off Jesus and then make plain God's plan to the people. Now I'm going to argue today that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not glad you're here, if you are a follower of Jesus, your job was created and given to you to make plain the mystery of what God has done in this world through Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor Ryan, you don't know my job. I hate my job. Mondays are like the worst days of my week. I'm that person you see that posts every bad Monday meme every Monday. Nobody in my office talks to me until after 2 o'clock when I've had 17 pots of coffee and a, and a, and a, a Xanax. Like, this is you. If that's you, I want you to know your job was given to you by God so that you can make plain God's mystery. Now, God's mystery, if you go back in, in Ephesians in 1, verses like 7, 8, 9, 10, ultimately his mystery is that God is going to unite all things to Jesus. 
He's going to unite the Gentiles to the Jewish people. He's going to take what is breaking and make it whole. This is what we call heaven. We call heaven, the, we think of heaven as the place in the sky. Heaven is a place where God is going to eventually take over this whole world, destroy it all by fire, recreate a new heavens and new earth. Because everything in this world, we know, is falling apart. That's a common theme. Suffering, falling apart. Same, same meaning. Our bodies are falling apart. We, we call it disease. We call it cancer. We call it death. We call it getting glasses. This week, I have a, I read it a lot in the Kindle. I had to up my font on my Kindle. Seriously. Because what's falling apart? My eyes. My, uh, my father-in-law is, is moving here soon, and he's not here yet this morning, so I could still m- make fun of him. Um, he knows he's got bad hearing, will not get a hearing aid. So we have to yell at him all the time. Charlie! Charlie! Hey! <laughs> That's it. He just... Is they're falling apart. Now, falling apart is painful. Falling apart, war is falling apart. Where peace, we, we long in our souls for peace to exist. War is when two groups of people say, we are falling apart from each other and we don't like the other person. Politics is falling apart. The, the fact that we have a two-party system, our unity fell apart. Everything is falling apart. Within our culture, things fall apart. We get locked up into our group, and we want to be different from them. Even in churches, we are falling apart. Where two or three are gathered there, a new denomination is forming. Seriously, it's falling apart. Jesus said, I'm coming to unite all things to me. In your job, give people a glimpse of my plan that I am bringing all things together, that I have created heaven to exist. I've hardwired the heaven reality to exist a certain way, and not all of our jobs are going to cover all of it, but some of our jobs are going to cover some of it. And together as the body of Christ, we should be this, what the Bible calls in the next verse, manifold wisdom. We display the wisdom of God. We display the brilliance of God to a culture around us. And I thought of some examples this week, thinking of some of your guys' jobs. If you have a job that you would like me to do this with on the fly, just Shoot it out to me after I get through a few jobs. Okay, so job number one, teacher. Any teachers in the house? Yeah. If you have a little human, you are a teacher, whether you wanted to be or not, okay? So, so here's the thing with teachers. The goal of Jesus is to bring a taste of heaven down to earth. When he walked here, he was doing that. Every time he healed a blind person, he was showing you, this is what it's going to be like in heaven. Every time he showed kindness to a stranger, he said, this is what it's like in heaven. Everyone's kind, everyone's loving, everyone's together. Teachers bring in or have the ability to bring in a certain type of nurturing. Teachers have the ability and parents to bring in to life, into the life of these kids. Hey, I'm going to show you what radical one-way love looks like. Lately uh, in my house, one of my kids, I'm not going to tell you which one, has been a little bit um, not listening. And I, I call it, it's a disease. It's called screenitis. Do any other parents recognize that disease? Screenitis. It looks like this. And literally, they bump into walls. They kick things. So now we, we're trying to make this rule, no screens while you walk. Because that's the quality of parent I'm at. Screenitis. And I told, I told one of my kids last night, I said, hey, you know, you haven't been listening. You haven't been loving me. And he said, well, I, I want to love you. I said, well, I want you to love me. I want you to want to love me, though. And to, I want you to want to listen. I don't want to just have to, like, turn on the bat dad voice every other second. 
And, and we've been doing this thing in the summer where I let them watch a movie before they go to bed. And, and they both said, well, I guess that means we're not getting a movie. But I took the remote and I said, no, I love you no matter what. You get to watch a movie. I just want you to love me too. And then I walked out. It was like a pastor mic drop. <laughs> he woke up this morning. I, I do love you, Dad. I just want to love you today. I'm like, yeah, winning. You have an ability as teachers or parents to instill in your kids the mystery of God's grace because the non-mystery of parenting is this or the non-mystery of teaching is this. We've all had those teachers that can crack the whip. Some of us literally, if you were born like in my era, there was still spanking going on back then. Uh, remember the preschool mom, the wood paddle with the holes? You were like, get my kid out of there. Some of you were like, no, kids need paddles and holes. All I'm saying is that this is a different generation. We have an opportunity as followers of Jesus to instill in kids a radical grace. Here's the rule of thumb I use for teaching, parenting, all of that. If the kid is hard-hearted, give them the law. Once they are broken-hearted, give them grace because that's what God does for me and you. Okay, now that's a little bit of a heady theological one. I, I thought of one just for you, Reg. Coca-Cola. Okay, I am a Coke uh, fiend, but mostly Diet Coke because that's what I was raised on. So I like that taste of metallic. Coca-Cola did this brilliant thing. And you're thinking, how does Coke relate to Jesus? How do you show off the mystery of God's plan? How do you make it plain with a sugary beverage? Now, I don't know who thought of this. Whoever it is is a genius. They started putting names on Coca-Cola bottles. And they said, share one. And they did that, ironically, at a time when our culture for the past two decades has become less and less and less likely to want to just get together and, and share a Coca-Cola with somebody. We've got coffee, but that's a select group of us who are admittedly addicts. Anybody can grab, and I don't know why they haven't done it with like Dasani water bottles, because there's, there's more of a market here. But this is them saying, we value relationship. God values relationship. God in his Trinitarian sovereign planning says, I created people to be in relationship, but people in our falling apartness, relational breakdowns, we just naturally recluse ourselves to be alone. And then somebody at Coca-Cola, and I don't think they did it for this purpose, but I think things like this can be done for this purpose where you think, what is it going to be like in heaven? I'm going to study the scriptures. What is the, what are relationships going to be like? What is our communication going to be like? What are we going to love to do? And how do I give people a taste of that with what I am called to do as a worker? So you're thinking, okay, but I'm not a teacher. I'm not a parent. I don't sell stuff like Coca-Cola that fosters relationships. What I am is an IT guy. I don't know how to help you guys. No, I'm just kidding. Because what do IT guys bring us that no one else brings us? Like, I'll tell you what. These chairs weren't made without IT guys. These projectors weren't made without IT guys. None of these lightning fixtures like Tom Edison, the original gangster of IT guys. They bring order to a world. Now, where have I heard this before? Where are we supposed to take the raw stuff of the world and bring order out of it? That's right, in Genesis. God made Adam and Eve, and he said, take this land and cultivate it. Take this land and govern it. I want you to take the raw substance of this world and I want you to create things that make humans flourish and love me and love others. The golden rule. Now here's the interesting thing. As we understand the mystery of God's love for us in our vocation, things will begin to change. We won't begin going to work 
with the Monday blues will begin to go to work thinking, okay, I may not like the dots that this job has me connecting, but we have, every believer has a job under the job now. You've got a way to show off who Jesus is through what you are doing as a teacher, as a parent, as an IT guy, as a lawyer even. God can save lawyers. There's, there's infinite. And if you don't believe that your job can do that, I don't care what your job is. You come up to me afterwards, this is my job. I dare you to connect that to Jesus. Oh, I got this. Tangent over. Okay. That was a long tangent. Some of you are like, Jesus, was a sermon and a sermon and a sermon inception. Okay. So this is us. This is Paul making, making plain the mystery of the gospel. Verse 10. I love this verse. So that, he, this is why he was doing it, why he's making things plain, why you should make things plain. So that the church, that's us, the people, so that the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Check this out, fam. Right now, God's plan was to raise up a church to show off to the world as we work together to give people a taste of heaven, like the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're living out through this process. So that now the world will see us. But not only that, that's the Deuteronomy 4 version. Paul ups the ante. Not only will the world see it, but you are going to make known the manifold wisdom of God. To who? Who does it say there? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's a phrase for angels and demons. So if you don't know this, or if you haven't, if you've built your theology of angels on Thomas Kincaid paintings or whatever those are, um, let me just rewind a little bit. Uh, there, I believe there are spiritual beings. You're free to disagree. We can have a conversation about coffee uh, or over a, a Coca-Cola with my name on it another day. But for, for this moment, I want you to think about this. That the church, the people of God, are called to make plain the mystery of God's good news in such a way that the world sees, it's Deuteronomy 4, and now that the heavenly beings will see. Now, you may think angels must be smarter than me. The Bible says that angels long to look into what we have because we have something that they will never have. We have a relationship with God that they do not have access to. They were not created to have it in the way that we have it. We get the presence of God in us, and it says they are just looking at us saying, this is amazing. And keep in mind that the angels who didn't fall are perfect beings. They know how jacked up you are, and they say, this is amazing. Look at this person living for God even though they are stained with sin. This is amazing. When one sinner repents, who rejoices? The angels, they're waiting, they're watching. We, you know, we do this thing every once in a while where I say, imagine if for one day we broadcast on a giant TV above your head everything you thought and did to the whole world. Some of you would probably change your behavior. I know some of you, like those of you who have like that soapbox, you would just get up on it. And one other thing. But, but ultimately, if we, were, if we were being watched 24 hours a day, things would change. We, we do it here. I see it here because I, I go out and I walk and pray before services some days or most days unless I'm up here and walking and praying. And sometimes I'm not trying to eavesdrop, but some of y'all are so mad in the parking lot. And then once somebody's watching, zing, how are you today? 
Great, Bob. Thanks, Bill. I, I just heard you screaming words. You didn't hear anything. The angels heard it. Because the angels are watching. The demons are watching. It, in real time, and I think there's a heavenly curiosity. They're wanting to know more about God and the things that we do or don't do can teach them or not teach them. The things that we are embracing, the way that we're bringing heaven to earth, the way that people who were far from God are now being brought close to God. I am convinced that in the heavenly places, angels are constantly aghast. Like, oh my goodness. Oh, did you see that? Dude, did you see that over here? Look at this. Look at this. Constantly. Because they're seeing people who were broken become restored. They're seeing things that were falling apart being brought together. They're seeing barriers that our world has set up get torn down. They're seeing relationships where you thought there was no hope, find hope. They're seeing people in the midst of immense suffering find some semblance of strength. Because remember, as Paul is writing this tangent, he's in jail. He's in jail. And he says, church, live. Make plain the mystery of the good news because the angels are watching. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Everyone say, I am bold. Here's why we can be bold. We can be bold when and if we believe that we are actually forgiven in the way that the Bible says we are forgiven. If we don't believe that we are forgiven in that way, we will not be bold. Martin Luther, now I don't fully uh, know if I like this and I don't want to say this because I already get in trouble enough for skirting the lines. But Martin Luther says, basically, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. And now if you grew up in a church, you just shivered in fear. I shivered a little bit. Because there's this reality Simul justus et peccator. We are simultaneously justified and sinners. It's my next tattoo. Like just chest. Simultaneously justified and then maybe sinners on the back because I'm leaving that behind. There's a reality, though, that when we understand forgiveness, we can live boldly and take risks that we could not take otherwise. Because we're not fearing that God's going to drop us the instant we fail. We know that he's got us in his, his hand and his hand is stronger than our stupidity. So live boldly. With my kids, I, I tell them different things. I've shared this before when I dropped them off at school. It's been a while since I've dropped them off at school. I, I'm dreading going back to school. I mean, I'm dreading sending them back to school. But I tell, I tell Jackson, Jackson, take a risk do something bold, have faith, because he doesn't want to do that. I tell Silas, be kind, make good choices, because he doesn't want to do that. I have no idea what I'm going to tell Savannah when she goes to school. I think I'm just going to tell her teacher, just duct tape her to the wall, just leave her there. I don't know. I've got no encouraging words for this one. But, but church fam, some of us need to take a risk and realize that because we have access, we can enter in confidence to the throne room of God and say, Lord, how am I supposed to make 
explain your mysteries to the people at my job, the people at the school where my kids go, the people at the, the, the coffee shop where I hang out, the people at my favorite restaurant. How can I make plain to the people that work in the cube next to me? God, how does IT or sales or marketing, how can I point to you in the midst of this? If you begin asking that question, begin listening to God's voice, and, and I just want to be clear, because I, I know we have a very diverse group here. I believe that the Spirit can speak to us, but I know that God speaks through his Bible. I know weird things happen uh, and that God can direct us. Just yesterday, I went to pray for a brother. Didn't know where he lived. He's here today. You can, you can ask him if I made it. I didn't know his address. It's not in any of our databases. I just knew he lived in Starling. Starling's pretty big. But I'm like, man, I think this guy really needs me to pray for him. So I, I turned into Starling, and I straight up did this. Lord! You tell me when to turn. And Starling's huge. I could have gone straight ahead or turned on many of other turns. And I just heard right. So I turned right. And I'm passing some little side streets. And I come to a T-stop. God says right. I turn right. And I'm like, there's that big ugly van that he owns. No wrong turns. And I prayed for him. Now, does this happen to me? Maybe like once every 36 years. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know if it was luck. If it is, I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket. Okay? I'm going to say, God, you guide my pen. He's going to guide it to failure because he wants me to depend on him, not money. But so I don't know if that was God or not. Here's what I know is God. If you want to know how to connect your life to God and your work, you better be in here. Read Proverbs every day. That's a good start. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. If you, if you want to understand how the good news, this highfalutin theology, hits the pavement, pre-read the next three chapters of Ephesians, 4, 5, and 6. We're going to be in there for the next couple of months. Because it goes from, Jesus died for you, now stop getting drunk for crying out loud. God loves you with an everlasting love, so husbands, love your wives this way. God loves you and laid down his life for you and is a good father to you. So dads, don't exacerbate your children to anger. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are going to bring us down to the road where the rubber meets the road. And I hope and pray that you will begin thinking about it. If you want to know how your job connects, if you want to jump into that tangent, please feel free to grab me after service and say, I don't know. If you, if you don't do that, my number is on your bulletin today. You can text in prayer all week. I'm going to forward those prayer requests to the elders of the church. If you have a question, text the question. Say, hey, this is my job. How do I connect this to Jesus? And maybe we'll go get a coffee about it. I love you guys. Man, this is the best tangent ever. Because right in the end there, Paul just says, so in light of all this amazing stuff that God is doing through me and through you, don't lose heart. This is for your glory. So don't lose heart when you go through suffering. Don't lose heart when you don't have your purpose nailed down. Cling on to what Jesus has given you. Cling on to the purpose he has for you. And know, know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, his mysterious good news of taking things that have fallen apart and bringing them back together is unfolding now. And it's his plan A, and his plan A does not fail. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for tangents. Thank you for purpose. Thank you for callings. Lord, I thank you that we get to be brought into this mystery 
that you have taken what was once falling apart and you are making them together. Lord, give us eyes to see areas of this world that need more of heaven and help us by the power of your spirit to bring a taste of that to those empty spaces. We love you. It's all for you. In Jesus' name, amen.